everyone. It is so great to see you. My name is Pastor Todd. I'm the lead pastor here at Eastside City Church with my wife, Jan, and I'm so glad that each and every one of you are here today. And I'm excited as we are going to be in the process of concluding our series on Resolved. Uh, well, I'm going to go into that in a minute, but I just want to also give a highlight that we just had a great three days of, of prayer, praying together on, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week. Uh, lots of people came. We re- I felt like God's presence was incredibly strong there. We had over 100 people on Friday night that came to pray together. And I want to encourage you that we pray together every Wednesday at 7.15 that if you are free and available, that it will change your life. If you have needs in your life, come and receive prayer. God wants to touch your life. Okay, well today as we uh, as I shared, we're doing our series called Result. I want to start off by sharing a story with you uh, from my childhood. Now, who here, uh, you have uh, uh, siblings, you have brothers and sisters that you grew up with. Uh, you know what it's all about, that, that sometimes things are awesome uh, with your brother or your sister, but there's probably portions of your life. If you're like me, I had a sister who was 17 years younger than me, uh, 17 months younger than I was, and so we were uh, pretty close in age, and like uh, a lot of uh, brothers and sisters, we didn't always get along. In fact, we would poke fun at each other, and one of the times that I remember uh, as I was thinking about this message was I was probably doing what I did. I was uh, annoying her and poking at her, and finally she got upset and angry with me. She got so upset that she took her shoe off her foot and threw it at me and hit me in the back of my head. Now, this wasn't just an ordinary shoe. This was a wooden clog, okay? Uh, it hurt. It, it, it hurt a lot. And so because I didn't have the grace of Jesus in my heart yet at that time, you guess what I did. I picked up the shoe, looked at her, and I threw it at her belt. Now, she was you know, she kind of hit me with the surprise attack, but she saw what I was doing, saw it was coming, and, and smartly, as I let go of the shoe, closed the door to her bedroom. Well, unfortunately, the shoe ended up sticking right in the door, like right in the middle of her door. Now, at that moment, we both realized that our problems with each other were minor, that, 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 that my pain wasn't really that painful, that, that we had another problem that was about to happen in about an hour when our mother came home, that we needed to make sure that, we, that, that this was not going to be the end of our life as we knew it. And so we made a plan. We were like, what can we do? So we ended up getting posters and putting them on both of our doors for her door to cover up the hole on my door just so that it didn't look like she had the only poster on the door. You know what was cool? We actually got away with it for about two years until my mom discovered it. You see, the shoe left a mark in the door. It left a mark. And the shoe also left a mark on my head. Uh, I still remember that. And today as we conclude our series, Resolve, I want to talk about the last resolution that I'm looking at that we, I believe each one of us should want to make this year, is that, that we would leave a mark on the world around us. You see, over the past few weeks, we have been talking about different areas that we want to make a resolve for. And what a resolve means is this, it means to firmly be determined to do something. And the first thing we talked about a couple weeks ago is that we would each be resolved to move forward in our lives, to let go of whatever it is that would hinder us 
from moving forward, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's uh, uh, just things that we feel like would hold us back, that we would say, you know what, this year has got to be different. Who here is saying, this year has to be different in your life? You need it to be different. You're desperate for it to be different. I'm desperate for this year to be different. So we've got to move forward. We can't go backwards and do things the same way we've done it. Secondly, we talked about how we should be resolved this year to make Jesus first in every area of our life. That true freedom comes from placing him at the center, or as I talked about last week, on the throne of our hearts. That there's only one person that can be in control of your life at any time. It's either you or Jesus. And you have to make a decision who is going to be on the throne. And that in order for you to experience all that God has for you, I believe it's best when Jesus is at the center. Well, today we're going to talk about this third thing, how I believe each one of us wants to make a difference in the world. Who here just wants to, at the end of your life, you know, you, you, you look at your life and it's kind of like, yeah, no difference made. It was, I lived life, breathed air, drank Starbucks or Tim Hortons, whatever your preference is, and that was the end of my life. I don't believe anybody wants their life not to mean anything. So I believe that one of the things we have to determine in our hearts is that we are going to allow God to use us to make a difference or leave a mark on the world around us. Now, as I was thinking about this, I realized there are many people throughout history who have left indelible marks on the world around them. And I want to talk about two people here just to begin with that I feel like left an incredible mark on the world as we see it. The first one, now this is because I'm a science guy. His name is George Washington Carver. Now George Washington Carver was a man who was born in 1864. That's quite a long time ago. And George was born right near the end of the Civil War. Now he was born a slave. But his parents and his siblings ran into something a little crazy. While they were in their slave owner's house, some other rogue slave traders came and kidnapped him, his parents, and the rest of his siblings, and moved them to another state. Well, George's owner was like, well, hey, that's, that's my property. I can't, I can't let that happen. So he went searching, and the only person he could find was young George. He ended up bringing George back to his house. Well, in 1865, the Civil War ended, and and uh, slavery was abolished in the state of Missouri where George's uh, slave owner was. So they, they decided that, well, instead of just getting rid of them or trying to sell the, the, their slaves to another state, they decided to make George, and they ended up finding one of his other siblings, they decided to adopt them as their own children. And because he wasn't able to go to school, the wife, her name was Sarah, Carver Washington, was, or Washington Carver was the man's name, they decided to train George how to read and write. Well, they found out he had an incredible aptitude for understanding and learning. And so eventually, when they were, he was able to, he went, actually went to high school at a, at a boarding school many miles away and got his degree, or got his diploma. And so then he applied for college, Hamilton College in, in Kansas. Well, it was an exciting time in his life until the college discovered that he was African-American, that he wasn't a white student, and so they wouldn't allow him to attend college. But what did George do? Did that stop him? No, he ended up going and learning agriculture all on his own. He bought whatever books he could and began to develop these ideas and these thoughts that eventually became revolutionary. In fact, they credit 
George Washington Carver with saving agriculture in the southern part of the United States. He was so proficient, and especially when it came to legumes or beans and these things, especially the peanut. Do you know that George Washington Carver discovered over 300 different uses for one peanut? He learned how to make paper with a peanut. He made gasoline out of a peanut. He discovered how to make a cure for goiter out of the peanut. He made all sorts of different discoveries, paints and dyes, just because of his incredible mind and the blessing that was on his life. Well, he rose to such prominence that he counseled presidents of the United States. He actually met with world leaders such as Gandhi and taught Gandhi how they could, in India, during the greatest famine that India knew, how to plant crops that would be able to replenish the soil and to provide nutrition for the people. He became a great man. You know, it said this on George Washington Carver's tombstone. I think that's something I'd like on my tombstone. He could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither... He found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. What a great testimony. The second person I want to talk about will probably be a little more familiar familiar to you. Her name was Mother Teresa. Who was Mother Teresa? Well, she was a girl who was born in Serbia. And when she was 18, felt that she had a call of God to be a missionary. Well, after becoming a Catholic nun, she was sent to Calcutta, India to teach school in a Catholic convent, to teach those around her. But she had a big problem, and it was this, that the convent was this opulent, wonderful, secluded place in the middle of abject poverty, in the middle of Calcutta, that there were people that were starving and dying all around her. She felt guilty about going into her place to just teach those that had everything. And so she said, God, would you give me an opportunity? So she went to the leaders and said, would you release me to start a mission to the poor of the poor? And so not only did she go to help those who lived in the slums of Calcutta, she lived with them, ate with them, many times going without food and clothing herself. We realize that in 1952 when we studied her life, she started one of the first hospices or a home for the dying in the slums of Calcutta because she believed that everyone had the right to die with dignity, regardless of what their lot in life was. And she hoped that there would be an understanding for many of them that somebody cared. By the year 2012, because of her legacy, there were over 700 missions in in over 130 countries around the world to the poorest places on the planet. She said her testimony was this, the fruit of faith is love. And the fruit of love is service. You know, these people made a great mark on the world. Today I want to talk to you as we continue on about how we can make a mark in the world. That if you, to leave a mark, you must do your part. That's kind of my statement today. To leave a mark, you must do your part. And in the book of Daniel, who we've studied, we have a story of three young men who had resolved to honor God regardless of the cost, who left a great mark on their generation and in the nation of Babylon. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might have heard of them. And they'd been partners with Daniel 
in the relocations or been with him when the Jews were relocated from Jerusalem to Babylon. And they'd stood with him when he had made a decision not to defile himself by dishonoring God and eating food that they shouldn't eat. Now, as we look at chapter 3 of Daniel, we will see that they found themselves in the middle of their own controversy. And so we're going to read about them here. And it says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, that King Nebuchadnezzar had made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages, messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all the officials came and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, people of all nations, races, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, as I read this, I'm like, wow, I wish I could play a zither, or I wonder what a zither even looks like. That would be kind of a curious thing to me. But as we see this, that, that... This edict goes out to all of the land that that everybody is to worship the statue. We'll come back to that in a minute. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. We have some tattletales here. And they said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. Kiss-ups. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. And you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, just want you to know this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They paid no attention to you, your majesty. They refused to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Well, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of those musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. What we have here is Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king on the planet at that time, ruler of Babylon. Babylon had conquered all of the surrounding nations, and then some. He had everything that any person on the planet could ever want. He had all the girls he could ever imagine, wealth. He was powerful, He had everything except one thing. He wanted one more thing that he craved. He wanted to be worshipped. So what did he do? I mean, this sounds reasonable. He built a 90-foot statue made out of gold of himself. Think about that. Think about how crazy that was. And he made this demand. He said, look, if you are going to be in my kingdom, I'm going to demand whether you're free or slave that you bow down and worship at my image. You must think pretty highly of yourself. 
to build a 90-foot gold statue of yourself. <laughs> Just think about it. That's, pretty, that's an eight-story building that we're talking about of, of gold statue of you. I don't think I'd want people to look at me that closely like, man, that's not, that's not a good thing, Pastor Todd. And the penalty of not bowing down to his image would be being thrown into a fiery furnace. You know, I, I, I would think that that was a pretty good thing that you might just want to avoid getting that, having that happen to you. But we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already made a decision that they were going to honor God like their mentor Daniel. They would have known because they would have studied with their life the law, the Ten Commandments, that said you're to have no other God before me. You're to bow down to no other God. And so they determined in their heart that regardless of what the king said, they weren't going to bow down. You know, it's not easy to make a stand in the midst of adversity. I remember when I had been living in Canada for about three years, I had the opportunity to get a job. It was a promotion. I worked for an automotive company, and the promotion was going from working in the warehouse, cleaning floors, stocking shelves, loading trucks, to being a salesman. Now, the salesmen were the kind of the kings of the castle, and I knew that it was going to, I mean, my wages were actually being doubled, and if I did well, it would triple how much I made. This was a great deal. And so my boss, in the first couple weeks of me being on the job, said, Todd, look, I'm going to go with you. We got this customer. He's behind on his payments. We, we got, he's got way too much inventory. We're going to go help him clean up some things, uh, return a few items, just so that we can help get his bill a little bit more manageable. And as we were sitting in the back room of this guy's shop, going through fan belts and all sorts of other things, my boss all of a sudden looked at me and he said, hey, you, hey I noticed that he has four of these fan belts. He goes, mark down only two. We got to recoup some money here. This guy's been soaking us. He hasn't been paying. We've been paying interest on his money. I just want you to mark two. A little bit later, the brake pads for the car. He said, look, he has three of these. He goes, just mark down one for the return. Man, I was conflicted. I just got this job. I just got this raise. Things were looking good in my life. I mean, we weren't even having to just eat itchy ban all the time. We actually were allowed to have a little bit of steak, some meat. Things were, things were, were good. And now all of a sudden I'm faced with this thing where I have to lie and I have to steal from somebody. Man, I was convicted. I was conflicted. What would I do? Would I disappoint him? Would I... How would I do it? And I remember I sat there and I was kind of sweating, but after about 10, 15 minutes, I finally went to him and I said, uh, sir, I, you know, I, I really appreciate the fact that you've allowed me to have this job. You see, I was a, a salesman. I was the youngest salesman by 10 years over anybody else in the company. I appreciate what you've done for me, but I said, I can't, I won't do this the way that you're asking me to do it. I'm sorry, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I don't know whether if this was really what he wanted me to do or if this was a test. All I know is that I didn't, I didn't lose my job. Thank you, Jesus. You see, why, when we read the Bible, we have to understand this, that our faith isn't really faith until it's tested. Until it goes through some challenges or testing Many times when we look at the challenges 
or difficulties that we face. We look at them as a sign that maybe we're not doing well or maybe we're in the wrong place. If things aren't going good, maybe I'm not where I should be. But what if? Because I believe this, that more times than not, it's part of God's refining or purifying process of our heart and our motives. It's God's preparation to help us to graduate and be an example to the people that are around us. In 1 Peter 1.7, it says this. These trials that we go through will show you your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Here's that gold thing again. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Our lives, we go through fire. And we know from the story, I just want to finish this part of it in verse 16. It says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego applied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Wow. I mean, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is the most powerful dude on the planet. And they're just saying, yeah, okay. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us. From your mighty, from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. That is an incredible thing that happened right there. I believe this. When you honor God with your life, you will face places, you will face a time when you will have to stand alone. You'll have to stand by yourself. And I believe this, that not many people normally are willing to pay the price for God's best. My question is, is where were the rest of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's friends? Where were they? What were they doing? I can tell you what they were doing. They were down kissing the pavement. They were down there saving, trying to believe in that they were going to save their own hide. They left their buddies out to hung out to dry, and they had to stand all by themselves. When you're doing what is right and making right choices, there will always be a moment or a season where you will need to stand alone. But as you'll soon see, we're never really alone. Because here's what happened after Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the furnace. We have to understand, Nebuchadnezzar got angry. In fact, he got so mad that it says that he commanded his servants to heat up the furnace seven times hotter than normal. I mean, that's anger. That's where the veins are bulging out of your head. He didn't want them dead. He wanted them, like, disintegrated, annihilated, that there would never be a memory of them. And it says that the furnace was so hot that the guys that threw the three men into the furnace, they all died. The heat was just so intense. And all of a sudden we come to this moment where he, you know when I say, but you'll see that we're never really alone. It says this in verse 24 of chapter three, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we see three men and didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then 
Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair of their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Come on. Who was in the fire with them? Many believe Jesus was actually came into that fire with us. I want you to know when you're going through the fire, Jesus is with you. When you're experiencing trials, when you honor God, Jesus will walk with you. And when we do some things, sometimes we won't even smell like the smoke. It doesn't have to get on us. The problems don't even have to get on us. I like what also happened here. And then it said, then Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 28, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trust in him. Look at his tune changed. It wasn't now all about me and my God and I'm so great. All of a sudden he's like, whoa, something happened here. He said, they defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. Come on, hallelujah. God's changing some things here. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Holy moly. This is a good thing. In life or death, Jesus stands with those who honor him. I believe this, that when we are facing trials, when we're facing our difficulties, when we're facing those things, as we go through the furnace, it purifies us and it allows us to stand out. It allows us to shine to the people around us. When you honor God with your life, you will stand out. It will draw people to see the goodness of God and we serve a good God. It is his kindness that leads us or people to repentance. However, to to shine, we cannot bow down to current idols. See, I believe there are giants, there are idols that we face all the time around us that are asking us to bow down. What are some of those idols? I want to give you three of them here. First of all, the idol of conformity. Conformity, well, that's peer pressure. What will people think of me? What if I do this? What if I, what if I, what if I, if I, I, I don't say anything about the, 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 the jokes that people are telling. What if I, well, I just need to go along with whatever's happening here. What if I, I do this? What if I stand out? What will people think? I don't want to make waves. I just want to, I don't want to stand alone. I don't want to be alone. I just want to look like everybody else. Can I say something to you, every one of you that is here today? You were never meant to be like everybody else. You were meant to be who God created you to be. 
You are meant to be who God designed you to be. And one of the things that he designed you to do was to stand out for him. That you would be somebody that just by your mere presence would draw people to Jesus. You cannot conform. The second one is self-governance. We have a problem in our country. It's an epidemic. It's the spirit of independence. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need to listen to what anybody says. We believe that we are our own gods, our own judges, our own, our own people that can just make whatever decision we want when we want. And here's the thing about God. We've got to understand about the sovereignty of God is he lets us do it. <laughs> he gives us the freedom. And we say that, well, I'm just accountable to myself. I'm my, I'm my own authority and people make decisions and they don't include the people around them that they should. They don't understand God's delegated authority is here to help them. It's part of his grace and his mercy in their lives. We can't bow down to that idol. We need to learn to walk together in community and unity and how to submit our lives one to another. It's where we build that grace and his power and his blessing flows through our life. The third idol is just self-focus. We had self-governments. How about self-focus? Where we're only concerned about ourselves. It's a lack of concern for other people. It's my time. My family is what's most important. I don't, I, it's, I'm going to make sure that I just make, take care of my family. My finances. My friends. And if we're not careful, it turns into a spirit of apathy where we don't care about the needs of other people. That we were created to love each other, to love one another. I mean, isn't that part of what the greatest commandments that Jesus gave us? First of all, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love people. That's what he said. These are the most important laws. You see, I believe this. If I do my part, I will leave a mark. How do we leave a mark? How can we leave a mark? First of all, don't bow down to those idols. But I got a few things really quickly. First of all, serving the next generation. I believe one of the greatest ways that we can leave a mark is by serving the next generation, serving the children, serving the youth, serving those that that can't really help themselves. You know why a lot of times we, 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 we got to look at the, the, the children, the children's ministry, even in our church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, that it's not just a place so that our kids are taken care of while we're here, that actually God is wanting to mold, form, and shape them right now at this time and this hour. But we sometimes struggle to serve children because we don't see the investment right now. It doesn't happen in this moment but we believe that I believe it's where our future is birthed. We can make a mark by pursuing godliness with passion. It says in Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Why? Because they'll be filled. You'll be filled with the goodness of God. We sometimes look at holiness as a dirty word. (laughs) That to be holy, to be like God, you know what holiness really is? It's to be totally undivided in yourself when it comes to how you live. That you do the right things at the right time all the time. God's holy. He's the only one that truly is holy. He always does the right thing 
according to his character. You'll never be regretful for saying, you know what, I, I was too, I pursued God too much. <laughs> we gotta pursue him. How about loving your spouse unconditionally? Man, that will leave a mark on your life, on your children's life. How about leading your children to love God and his church? That, that, that this is one of the greatest ways we can leave a mark by teaching our kids that this is a good place, that there's a place for them. How about being a restorer of relationships, being a healer, not accepting brokenness around you, going for the best. And lastly, my favorite is looking for opportunities to reach people. Man, I believe as a church we're called to do this. I thank God for people that had left a mark on my life. I wouldn't be here today if if it wasn't for some of them. And I was thinking there are so many people. Who do I single out? I just want to talk for a moment about my youth pastors. When I was 17 years old, they allowed me to come and live with them. Why? Because I'd been abandoned by my family. Uh, My sister and I had to find different places to live. We were actually living in a trailer out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I know it'll sound crazy, but we it was on well water where the well had actually broken. People said, come. We're going to help you. We're going to take care of you. They showed me what love and what a real family... (laughs) look like which was really kind of crazy for me to see they believed in me and when I needed someone to believe in me they made a great mark on my life I'm forever I'm forever grateful to them if I do my part I will leave a mark my desire is to make a mark not so that I can be congratulated or worshipped but to see Jesus lifted higher than anything else. That's what our, I believe our cry should be. I love it when I study the Bible. It says that David served the purposes of God in his generation than he died. I mean, what, what greater thing could you have put on your tombstone when you die, that you serve the purposes of God in your generation? It's not too late. I want you to know that. But you got to just chase the things that really matter. I believe this today, that some of you are even are, are, are in here and you're kind of like, Pastor Todd, I, I, I look at my life right now, I look at the sum total of where I'm at and I've just, it, it's, it's been a place of brokenness. I thought things haven't been that good and I want you to know, that's why I'm so thankful for the grace of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, that his blood comes and it just says, you know what? It doesn't matter what you've done till this point. Today's a new day. Today's a new opportunity for you. That you just have to decide to say, you know what, I want to be one of those people that makes a difference. And even in the midst of your brokenness, even in the midst of the things that seem like they're not working, I believe if you ask him, he will use you to influence, to reach, to impact.